production and audio editing brought to you by Richard Borger with Meraki Recordings. We actually had you know, several people come up to me while I was trying to cook, so you, know, you don't look very Japanese. <laughs> and I just said, well, you know, mate, I need to be racist about this. <laughs> um, you know, I've been cooking Indian, German, French cuisine all my life. Nobody's ever asked me to be Indian, German or French before. Mm. I'm an Aussie that cooks Japanese food and we do it fairly well. John Byrne, former owner and chef of Ebby Fine Foods, is Scottish by birth, but Japanese by interest. After visiting Japan, becoming enamored with the culture and cuisine and making a spur of the moment purchase of a specialty grill, John traveled down a path that led to the opening of a fish and chips Japanese cuisine joint shop in the suburbs of Melbourne. His love and passion for Japanese cuisine and his unique approach to introducing locals to that earned him rave reviews and stunning accolades. Through his story of luck, dedication, and curiosity to a culture not of his upbringing, we can learn that we aren't all that different after all and we begin to see the miracles that can occur from being curious by something unfamiliar to us. Stay with us as we learn how the past and the future of Melbourne is shaped by the Japanese. Welcome to Culture and Cuisine, the podcast, season two, where we are creating conversations in the Melbourne community to show that everybody is from somewhere. Even the locals of today are shaped by the foreigners of the past. And with that, we can begin to understand and appreciate the diversity around us. I'm your host, Casey Hirschman. Sharing the table today is John Byrne, former owner and chef of Ebby Fine Foods. Hi, my name is John, John Byrne. And my in-the-field co-host, Gracie Sietu. Hi, my name is Gracie Sietu, and I'm co-hosting today. We begin the interview by trying to understand when John's interest in Japanese culture and cuisine first developed. Well, look, I've always had an interest in Japan and um, and Japanese food, but like you know, when I was growing up, there was you know the animes and manga and. Especially, I can vividly remember a TV series called The Samurai. Mm. Uh, it was in black and white, mm. and uh, with the Ikan Ninjas and the Samurai for, fighting for the forces of good, etc. In Japan, every Saturday morning it was on. We loved it, uh, you know, kids around my area, and that's you know sort of sparked my interest in Japan at an early age. Mm. Then when I finally visited with uh, my then-to-be wife on our way over to Scotland, we went, ooh, this is really good, we're going to have to come back here. And when we got married in Scotland, um, we spent half the honeymoon in Japan and discovered um, takoyaki, the uh, little octopus balls. Takoyaki is a traditional Japanese snack first popularized in Osaka in the 1930s. 
It is made of a flour-based batter and often filled with octopus, pickled ginger, green onions, and completed with a sauce and dried bonito. They also happen to be cooked in a special pan. John tells us how one fateful day he stumbled across one of these grills at a shop in Japan. There's a street in Tokyo called Kapabashi Gugaidori, uh, which is just cooking equipment and specialist shops. You know, there are shops for knives, there are shops for crockery, there are shops for... There was like a, a shop just did bar stools. They're that specialised. Wow. And there's the shops that do the plastic food who are at the front of restaurants. But uh, we found in one of these shops uh, takoyaki grills. And the takoyaki grill um, was like LPG, did about 12 at a time. And we went, oh, these are really good. Nobody does these in Australia. So I grabbed a couple of them and went around to a post office and posted them back to myself EMS to Melbourne. Of course, because they got cast iron tops, the postage for the grill cost more than the grills did. After also fitting the grills for Australian gas, then letting them sit idle in the garage for quite some time, John and his wife finally decided to make use of them at a pop-up food festival. You know, considering we're professional chefs, both of us, uh, we thought we were totally prepared for it, but we were sorely mistaken. We got absolutely overwhelmed. We took another chef with us, and we just had this queue that went on forever, and we were doing a vegetarian version of the, the takoyaki without the octopus, because it was a hippie vegetarian sort of festival. <laughs> and... For the four or five days of the festival, we just had this queue out the front and we were like grating vegetables as fast as we could. And we took little hand blend, um, stick blenders. Well, we took one. I had to go into the, the local town and buy another couple because we were overheating the, the first one, trying to blend up the, the mixture for the veggie balls or takoyaki balls. And we thought, oh, it's a bit of a winner, really. A lot of work, but a bit of a winner. If we were better organised, we could do this quite well. So we it sort of developed over the next few years into a well a forty seat mobile Japanese restaurant, which we called Norin. Just doing the the um, little bits of the festival circuit. With all of their success, John realised they needed a production kitchen. So they purchased an old fish and chip shop that had been closed for a little over a year. During renovations, they realized that they had an opportunity to make use of the kitchen year-round rather than just during festival season. Thus, they opened Ebby Fine Foods, where they could seat around 12 guests in typical small Japanese restaurant style. However, they didn't launch a solely Japanese concept. John shares how they first introduced the Melbourne suburb to Japanese food. We opened it to the public and we were pretty quiet, though a lot of the regular, all the, the locals had been watching because they'd been missing their fish and chip shop. So we kept the fish and chips on and did Japanese bento and Japanese food as well. And, you know, changed the batter to, to more like a uh, tempura style and all that sort of thing. And, went for the more upmarket side of the fish chips thing. Mm -hmm. 
and we got a um, a review in the age and the good food and at this stage we just started getting our liquor license and all that sort of thing and when the review came out we knew nothing about the review we got a phone call sort of about a week before saying can we send in a photographer and we said yeah for what <laughs> and they said oh you've got a review coming up in the good food and I went oh do we oh, okay <laughs> anyway the Tuesday the review came out we were inundated we sold a week's worth of food in one day we had people coming from Glen Waverley from right the other side of town just to try our food so we worked all night and we got the and we did the same thing the next day we sold another week's worth of food and that just kept going and we got to the point where we were actually too busy down at Ebby to run Norrin, the, the mobile thing. Mm -hmm. So we actually missed about two years worth of festivals while we slowly got it together. And then we went in, you know, gung-ho and et cetera, and we um, just kept going for the next six years, really. John's concept of melding a fish and chip shop with a Japanese restaurant helped to ease people into the idea of being adventurous with foods. He describes how the locals started to branch out and shares how he also tried to branch out and bring unique Japanese cuisines to Melbourne. We, we did it basically because to, to gain acceptance from the locals. Yeah. Because it had been their fish and chip shop. There wasn't one around for um, more than a kilometre. And then we got the reputation as a Japanese fish and chip shop. It was hard to sort of, because the, the plan was, you know, originally to sort of start out like that till we get people in and they like the other side of the food mm -hmm. and we'd drop the fish and chips eventually. <laughs> but, you know, it was just such a good seller, we couldn't. Mm. People that used to come in for the fish and chips started eating the bento. Mm -hmm. And um, we did a bento of the day every day. We did... Um, uh, and it was, you know, sometimes some of it was really good sellers, like the uh, chilli soft-shell crab on a Friday night used to just walk out the door. We couldn't... We'd go through hundreds of crabs. Wow. And um, other items, you know, you'd sort of go, well, we'll try it on the menu, because we did a, a seasonal menu every three months. We changed it. Mm -hmm. And we tried not to do your classic Japanese restaurant dishes because there it's so many Japanese restaurants have a a very you, you can go to any of them and probably swap their menus around and they wouldn't notice mm -hmm. apart from the name on the top of the menu so we tried to do more of the, the home style stuff we you know like Japanese karaoke the croquette mm -hmm. um, you know the crab and sweet corn croquette is a classic we used to do a croquette um, bento where we were putting in four different ones, like a a prawn one, a um, a lamb, lamb. Uh, a beef. <laughs> well, Japanese don't eat much lamb. They no, think no. it smells funny. Huh. It so we tried to we well we we tried to tweak things a little bit too. We yeah. We're trying to do different things with Japanese food. 
um, as you can see from all the Japanese cookbooks over there on the, mm. the um, uh, bookshelf there, we were studying it constantly and you know, search, searching the web for new ideas as well. Yeah, I think that's like beautiful though, kind of as a, you know, kind of a metaphor as a way too where people can potentially um, start accepting other cultures. Like you have this cuisine that people are familiar with but then they start seeing the other cuisine and, you know, it's there. And then they're like, okay, well, you know, maybe it is worth a try. Like, I can see some similarities. Like, there's fish and fish and chips. There's fish in these bento boxes. All right, I'll, I'll give it a try. And then they're like, oh, wow. I, you know, realize they actually really enjoy it. Mm. And, uh, you know, could see the same thing with uh, accepting others as well. You know, once you start seeing that, Maybe it's not that different. There's some similarities and you can start accepting. So I think that's really, really cool. We were the number one fish and chip shop in Melbourne for wow. like 18 months running. Wow. Uh, just by public acclamation. Mm. Um, I think they've changed all their way of doing things now. I've done to tomato for years. Uh, yeah, Urban Spoon loved us. And we we're well ahead of everyone else. So, um, and we we're in the top ten for Japanese restaurants as well. Wow. Wow. In this tiny little fish and chip shop in the back street of West Footscray. Mm. Yeah. We transition into asking John about his seasonal menu and some of his favorite dishes resulting from that. Uh, Butanokakuni, the um, pork belly with uh, daikon radish and boiled egg was one of our signature dishes um, and during the winter we would sell heaps of it because you know it was comfort food yes yeah yeah it's hard to get um like were there any japanese ingredients that were hard to come by here no we we had three japanese suppliers for food uh, probably the main one we used was Japan Food Trading. Um, they were really helpful because if I'd done another Japan trip and found something I'd liked over there, I could just take them a photo of uh, the label and their purchases over in Japan would source the, uh, the product for us and import it for us especially. Not everyone is interested or open to learning about other cultures. We asked John why he thinks he was open to the concept, and he shares the stories of the kitchen when he was first learning to be a chef. The kitchen was run by Germans and Swiss and Austrians. So you know, I learned a bit of German, I learned a bit of Swiss. I learned all the, the important phrases for... Um, working in the kitchen with a, a German executive chef who can be at times, you know, somewhat demanding. <laughs> you know, phrases like, das, das ist noch nicht fertig. Ich habe keine Gelegenheit gehabt. It's not ready yet. I haven't had a chance. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, you, you've got to be open to other cultures working in that sort of environment. As John progressed in his career and really took an interest in Japanese cuisine, 
He took on mentorship and even learned from some of his employees. He shares with us some of the traditional Japanese cooking techniques that he picked up along the way. Some of the knife techniques for um, slicing sushi and um, dealing with fish in general, because mm-hmm. we made sushi every day as well. Um, some of the techniques as far as like, you know, even down to making soba noodle, when to put it in, when to get it out, mm-hmm. all those sort of things. There's, um, there's you know, little specialty things that, you know, tricks and tricks of the trade as far as mm. uh, Japanese con- are concerned. Like making the Buddha no Kokuni, uh, you'd seal the pork belly in, in cubes or like sort of oblongs. The Buddha no Kokuni actually translates as squares. <laughs> um, pig squares, I think it is exactly. <laughs> Um, but you'd grill it on all sides to render out some of the fat. Then you uh, braise it, but one of the tricks was to uh, bring it up to the boil in uh, just plain water first, then take it out and put it into another pot and start it again. That took out some of the the crude fat flavour. Now... um, then, then you'd raise it down in uh, dashi stock and uh, the rest of the ingredients. But uh, it really smoothed the flavor out. It was quite a good trick. Another distinction for Japanese cooking is the style of fish they use for sushi. John explains the different suppliers they had to use for the fish and chips and the sushi in the restaurant. We used another supplier for the sushi fish. Mm-hmm. But uh, Con, who's you know, you, you good Greek fisherman, and had really fresh fish, and we worked with him to make sure we, we got the freshest fish every day. Mm-hmm. Um, he was always at the markets, you know, first thing in the morning, and he was like our our main go-to guy for most seafood products. Mm-hmm. But the Greeks don't understand the idea of dry cutting fish that you have to do for sushi. Um, they always, you know, they're, they're washing things constantly in water. Mm. Whereas if you're using a, a salmon or something for, or a kingfish fillet for sushi, it's got to be cut dry without heaps of running water. Is um, that for like sanitation purposes or what's, or just how it cuts? It's for the flavor. For it's okay. for the flavor. It's for the, the way the fish, the flesh will stay firm. Mm. Um, like you know, it's skin, it's skin on, and it's scaled, etc. Before they do it, mm-hmm. but as far as the actual cut of the fillet, they do that dry. Now, Greek fish mongers will always put you know sushi or sashimi grade, mm-hmm. but they've dumped the thing in water all over the place, and mm-hmm. it's it's just not the same. Mm-hmm. Like we used Oceana, which was a Japanese fishmongers, which supplies all the Japanese restaurants around. And um, as far as tuna goes, the owners probably got the, the entire co- market cornered for good yellowfin and um, tuna that we can use for tuna that's used for sushi. Whereas Con 
was getting in fish from New Zealand. From We'd know the, the heritage of the fish. We'd know what had come in that day. Yeah. So we were always grabbing the best we could. And yes, we sold an awful lot of fish and chips. <laughs> an awful lot of fish and chips. Yeah. Unfortunately, John had to sell his restaurant and retire due to some health issues. And as he says... It's life. Yeah. You yeah. deal with it and you keep going. He recognizes every obstacle yields an opportunity and appreciates the newfound time he has to spend with his son and the chance to branch out into a new area of interest. John speaks to us about his recent enrollment back into school. Yeah, and now, well, actually, I've become a student. Oh. What are you studying? Screen and media. I'm doing a Bachelor of Screen and Media at Victoria University. Wow. I did a... Is that what you were filming when you went back to Japan? Yeah. Uh Um, Well, I started last year with a Cert 4 in Screen Mm -hmm. and Media and gone on to a um, a Bachelor's this year. What are your plans with that? Well, I'm getting a steady cam, so my hand doesn't shake as much. Um, yeah. <laughs> or to hide it, anyway. Um, we'll wait and see, really, at this stage, if I can uh, come up with something, to, some way of using it, even if I'm just editing for somebody else. Or mm. yeah. We'll see. At this stage, it's um, photography's always been an interest, a hobby. And um, I thought, well, you yeah, before my memory starts going too much, um, I'll try and learn some stuff to, uh, and the urologists say that it's always good to challenge yourself mm, yeah. at the start of Parkinson's to as much as possible. John continues to share with us about the sale of Ebby and shows us that at the core of a great restaurant is passion. And without that, it won't survive. Okay, I sold Ebby about um, two years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's on to its second owner since then now. Uh, Unfortunately, it's um, gone downhill a bit. Mm-hmm. I did sell it to another chef. Mm-hmm. who was quite a good chef, and I was thinking, right. Mm-hmm. But he was on a buying spree. He bought three restaurants at once oh, wow. and put his brother-in-law, who was a um, an airline steward, into run Ebby with his wife. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I'm sure he was very good as an airline steward Mm -hmm. but as a creative chef they're still running the same menu I left there Mm -hmm. three years ago Um, yeah the the lack or loss of passion yes (laughs) yeah we wrap up our interview by asking John what his favourite Japanese dish is Uh, katsudon Mm. You know katsudon? No. <laughs> uh, katsudon is a bowl of rice um, with a crumbed pork cutlet, um, which has been fried and then sliced, then egg and onion in tendon sauce over the top. It's, it's hearty, sort of peasant and home-cooked, it's one of those ones. It's, mm-hmm. um, yeah, you get a bit of fried rice and the egg, and it's really nice. Mm-hmm. 
just yeah. goes together really well. If you see it in a menu anywhere, there are quite a few places that do it mm-hmm. in Melbourne and around. Katsuran's always been a fave. Production and audio editing brought to you by Richard Borger with Meraki Recordings.